Good morning, church. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm so thankful to start the week this way, celebrating the hope and the victory that we have in Jesus and being together as brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that there are many more that are watching online. But thank you. Thank you for allowing the the Lord to use you the way that he does, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. And I'm enjoying this conversation that we started last week about the kingdom of God. And as we think about that idea, the kingdom the kingdom of God, I think it's important that we think in terms of country, nation, kingdom. Sometimes we, we so spiritualize the word kingdom that we forget what we're, we're really talking about or how that, that term or that idea would have landed on the ears of first century people. So let, let's ponder this question this morning, this question. Does a nation begin at the outbreak or the conclusion of a revolution? Okay, I just kind of want us to ponder that. I've been pondering this question all week long. If you think in terms of the, the United States of America, if you think in terms of, of this country, when, when did this country begin? When was it a country? Was it, was it when the colonists declared independence? Was it when the revolution broke out in 1776, right? And it, was it then? That, that the country was a country, that the nation was a nation? Or, or was it later when, when finally Great Britain acknowledged that, yes, the United States is a country? Do we even know what year? I had to look that up. I didn't even know what year that was. 1783, when the treaty was finally signed. So is it when the revolutionaries say, we're independent, we are our own country, we are a new thing, or is it when those that they're breaking away from finally acknowledge, yes, you are your own thing? Well, I would say that how you answer that question depends, depends on whose side you're on. It depends on how you think things are going to wind up in the end, right? Because if you're a revolutionary, you are so committed to the end result. You're so committed to making your own nation, your own kingdom, your own country, that you believe that from the moment you declare it to be so, the moment that revolution breaks out, that you are your own people. But if you're on the opposing side, if you're in charge of the status quo, you say nothing's changed. Nothing's been decided. They still belong to us. Now, I begin that way, and I think it's important to remember that that is not our revolution. That revolution is not our revolution. That kingdom is not our kingdom. Our revolution is a revolution that started 1,700 years before that. Our revolution started in, in Jerusalem, in Israel. Our revolution started with Jesus. Because when Jesus came along, this was his message, that, that something new is here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And, and, and when we hear that term, the kingdom of God, make no mistake, Jesus was starting a revolution. I think so often we, we sort of reduce the idea of kingdom of God, what this term means. Here, here's one way we might put it, kind of going back to what we talked about last week. The kingdom of God is God's uncontested rule and reign over creation as it was before the fall. 
That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of God. So often, again, we, we sort of reduce it to just the church. And the church is certainly an important part of this conversation about the kingdom of God. But when we say kingdom of God, we've got to think so much more and, and more broadly than, than the church. We, we've got to understand that this is a, a big concept. The kingdom of God is God's uncontested rule and reign over the creation as it was before the fall. And, and this is the way some of the ways that the New Testament talks about it, that God's enemies are finally defeated, all of them. All of the demonic powers and rulers and authorities are defeated. That creation is reclaimed and restored. And his loyal children are glorified as it was supposed to be in the beginning with a vast inheritance. The kingdom of God is about the inheritance that God's people will inherit. So when Jesus comes along and he says the kingdom of God is at hand, this is the kind of thing that people would understand Jesus as saying, that God's uncontested rule and reign is here. But, but a lot of the people, unfortunately, that were first invited to be part of this, to be part of this revolution, to be part of this new kingdom, they weren't really interested. They were too busy. They were too committed. Their loyalties belonged to the status quo. They were committed to things staying the way that they were. They were comfortable with things staying the way they were, and they weren't interested in being part of a revolution, at least not right now. This idea seems great, Jesus. Thanks. We appreciate it. And someday, yes. But right now, I'm not interested in everything changing, in everything getting turned upside down. And so a lot of the people who were initially invited made excuses and weren't interested in being part of the revolution. And so that, that's, that's where we come in, isn't it? To say, how about you? How about you? Are, you? are you ready for what Jesus is bringing? Look at Luke chapter 14 and verse 15. The context of this passage is that Jesus is at a dinner party. He's at a dinner party at a Pharisee's house. And in fact, he's, he's just been scolding them about how they needed to humble themselves and how they needed to change the way that they were living their lives. And maybe to kind of break the awkward silence, you know, when somebody says something that's, that's kind of awkward and, and they kind of put something out there and tell people you need to change your life and maybe there was just an awkward silence, somebody speaks up. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now we could say, amen, amen, Right? Amen. Yes. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so here's somebody who says, yes, I'm looking forward to this idea of the kingdom. I'm looking forward to God's rule and reign. I'm, I'm looking forward to God putting everything right. I'm, I'm looking forward to God defeating all of his enemies and God's children inheriting their inheritance. I'm looking forward to that day and what a blessing that will be. But, but Jesus says this, verse 16, but he, Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. That's a good way to kind of sum up Jesus' whole ministry, isn't it? This is what Jesus was doing. Everything's ready. If you want to be a part of, of what the prophet said was coming, everything's ready. If you want to be a part of what everybody has been expecting, 
and hoping for and waiting for, now's the time. Everything is ready. And so Jesus tells this parable, and he says, there's this banquet, and the servant goes and is supposed to tell everyone who's invited, hey, now's the time. The banquet's here. Let's sit down. Let's feast. Let's take advantage of what has been brought and what we have been waiting for. And of course, the Jewish people were the people who had been waiting for this moment. People like the Pharisee at whom at whose house Jesus is eating. They, they said they were ready. They said they wanted to be a part of this. They said they wanted the kingdom of God to come. But did they really? And when it showed up, and we, Jesus says, everything's ready. Were they ready to be a part of something that was turning the world upside down? Look at verse 18. But they, the people who were invited, all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, ah, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. Jesus, of course, is telling this parable, saying that all the people that were invited to the banquet, they're making excuses of why they can't come and eat at the banquet. Oh, yes, I'd like to be there. I'd like to be part of that. That sounds great. It sounds wonderful. But I've got other things going on that right now these things are more important. I've got some financial obligations. I've got some business deals. I've got a relationship. I mean, I've just got a lot on my plate right now. I can't be part of something like this right now. Of course, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that's exactly what people like the Pharisees and, and so many of the Jewish people who had been told for centuries, for hundreds of years, that the kingdom of God is coming. God is coming to restore and reclaim. God is coming to establish his rule and reign over creation, to redeem his people. And these were the people that said, we're waiting for that, we're hoping for that, we're praying for that, we're invested in that. And then when Jesus comes and says, okay, now's the time. Now's the time to claim it. Now's the time to be part of it. Now's the time to seek it. Now's the time to grab hold of it. Then they had excuses. Not right now. I got a lot going on right now. I've got some business deals going on right now. I've got some financial obligations right now. I've got some relationships right now. I can't be part of this right now. Being part of a revolution requires everything. To say, I, I'm so committed to this reality of God's rule and reign over all things that when you say the time is now, then what else compares to that? What else could possibly be more important than the rule and reign of God? What else could possibly be more pressing than this? But yet, when Jesus shows up and says, okay, it's time, the thing for which you've been waiting, the moment for which you've been waiting, it's here. They said, I've got other things going on. Now, don't, don't miss it. The application to us I mean, we, we say as religious people that we want to be a part of God's rule and reign. We want to be part of God's kingdom. We want to be a part of his revolution of what he's doing in the world to bring together people of every nation and tribe and language. But when it comes right down to it, do we have excuses much like these banquet guests 
And we say, Lord, I mean, that sounds great. And someday, yeah, that'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful for God to rule and reign that way and for God to set everything right and for everything to be as God wants it to be and as it was before the fall and God to reclaim and redeem and restore. Yes, that sounds great. But, but I'm invested in this world in the way things are right now. I'm invested in the status quo. I'm committed to, to following the path of the way things are going right now. And that's the message that Jesus is giving to his audience. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Master, everybody's making excuses, and nobody wants to come to your banquet. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. See, this is what Jesus did throughout his ministry, isn't it? Because he showed up and of course the people, the religious leaders, the people you would think were, were ready, the most ready for the kingdom of God to come. They made all kinds of excuses because they were invested in the status quo. They were committed to the status quo. They were loyal to the status quo. And when Jesus comes and says, okay, now it's time for everything to get turned upside down, they said, whoa, hold on. We're, we're not ready for that. You see, the people at the bottom of the social ladder, the poor people, the sick people, the marginalized people, they weren't so happy with the status quo, with the way that the world functioned as it was. They were ready for a change. They were ready for a revolution. They were ready for the kingdom of God, for God to come and, and turn things upside down. And so it was those people who responded well to the invitation of Jesus. And the people who were at the top of the ladder, they were the ones typically that made all kinds of excuses because they were loyal to the way things were rather than loyal to the kingdom of God. And the servant said, verse 22, the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done. We've invited the sick and the lame and the hurting and the poor. And still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And see, I mean, there's, there's warning here because obviously he's warning the people to whom he's speaking in that moment. He's telling this parable as a way to rebuke them for making excuses for why they're not joining Jesus and turning the world upside down. But this is also good news for us because the initial invitees rejected the invitation. The invitation has gone out to the whole world. That's, that's y'all. That's all y'all. That's all of us, isn't it? The invitation has come out to us because God wants his house to be filled. And so God's plan from the beginning of time was that his message would go out to the whole world, that people of every nation and tribe and language, this multi-ethnic, multinational, multilingual family would come together into the house of God. And he says, this is the invitation. Go out, I mean, compel people to come in. Isn't that wonderful? That citizenship in Jesus' kingdom is not based on merit. It's not based on ethnicity. It's not based on what you've done or where you've been or who you are or who your parents were. It's not based on pedigree. It's based on his grace and mercy and love. 
And he says, I just want the world to know my generosity. And I want everybody to be in my house. There's room in my house for everybody. There's room at my banquet table for everybody who is willing to respond. Because now's the time. And if you're so caught up in the way the world functions now, rather than committed to the way the world will function, again, if you're a revolutionary, you say, my country, my nation, my kingdom that I'm a part of, my, my enemies may not acknowledge that it exists, but I'm so committed to that being reality that I'm going to live into it right now. I'm not committed to the way things are. I'm loyal and committed to the way things will be. What is being brought about by these efforts? But not everybody was willing to respond that way to the invitation. They made excuses. I've got some business deals going on. I've got some financial obligations going on. I've got family responsibilities going on. I can't be part of turning the world upside down right now. I can't, I can't just change everything in my life. I can't reorient my life around Jesus. And Jesus says, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. When the invitation comes, if you're more committed to the way things are than you are to the way things should be and the way things will be, then you will not taste the messianic banquet of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. This, this question about, okay, if this is the case, if, if Jesus is bringing the kingdom, if, if the rule and reign of God is, is at hand, when's it going to start? When's it going to begin? And, and one of the Pharisees asked Jesus this question. Verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Again, it's, it's similar to what we talked about last week, the, the mustard seed and the leaven that's hidden in the lump of dough. This kingdom that we're a part of, this nation that we're a part of, this country to which we belong, our citizenship is to a kingdom that's totally unlike any other kingdom. There are no fortresses. There are no castles. There are no physical armies. There are no chariots. There are no swords. There are no spears. This isn't waged the way that other revolutions are waged. This kingdom that we're a part of, Jesus says, it, it's not coming in ways that can be observed. It's more like a seed that's being planted. It's more like yeast or leaven that's being hidden in the lump of dough. This kingdom is going to come about in ways that aren't observable the way other kingdoms come about. Every other revolution... Every other nation that had ever come into existence had come about in observable ways. We can look back at history and say, well, this is when this happened, and this is when this happened, because you can see those things coming about. Jesus says, my kingdom, this global, multinational, multilingual, multi-ethnic kingdom that God is bringing about is not going to come about in observable ways. When it comes, you won't see it the way you see other kingdoms. Look at verse 21. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is so important, isn't it? 
The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And again, remember, he's talking to a Pharisee who's asking this question, when's this going to come about? And don't we still wonder that? Don't we look at the promises of the kingdom of God and say, well, Lord, I mean, there's still so much broken. There's still so much wrong in the world. Things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Things are not the way that you promised they would be. When are you going to reclaim? When are you going to restore? When are you going to redeem? And Jesus says, this, this coming about of the kingdom, this kingdom is in the midst of you. And I like the way one, one commentary, Inti writes Luke for everyone, the way he puts it is this. It doesn't just tell you, this phrase doesn't just tell you where the kingdom is, it tells you that you've got to do something about it. Another way to put it is, it's within your grasp. It's confronting you with the decision, the decision to believe, trust, and follow Jesus. That's what the parable of the banquet is all about, isn't it? That the invitation is here. This rule and reign of God, if you want to be a part of it, if you want to experience the rule and reign of God, don't just sit, about, sit around and wait for God to show up with something visible, and then you can say, oh, well, now I see it. Now I'm going to be a part of it. He says, if you want to be a part of it, it's right under your nose. It's right in your midst. It's within your grasp. Just reach out and be part of it. Believe in the one that God has sent. Believe in Jesus. Trust in him. Give your loyalty and your allegiance to Jesus. Start following him. Be his disciple. Commit yourself to him. And when you commit yourself to Jesus and you die to the world and the things of the world and the status quo and the routine and the way things have always been and you commit yourself to Jesus and doing things his way, that's when you are already beginning to experience the world to come. You are beginning to experience the kingdom of God now. Now, as soon as you commit yourself to Jesus, as soon as you put your trust in him, you're buried with him in baptism, become his disciple. Eternal life is yours now. The kingdom is yours now. The same way a revolutionary says, I'm so committed to what I believe will be that I'm going to commit myself to it now and experience it now. Jesus says the kingdom of God, it's right under your nose. It's in your midst. It's within your grasp. Listen to the way Paul talks about it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Here's what Paul says, Colossians 1, 13. He says, the Father, he, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says that's a reality that we are experiencing right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until all things, till all things are finished and all things are done and all things are made new for you to be made new. You can become new creation right now. You can be liberated from the domain of darkness, the rule and reign of the devil. Every single one of us have lived under the devil's rule and reign, haven't we? We have lived in the domain of darkness. But when Jesus forgives you of your sins, when your sins are washed away, when they are atoned for by his blood, you are set free. 
You are liberated. You are no longer enslaved. And now you are already a part of the rule and reign of God. Yes, yes, we're still waiting for God to make all things new. But you don't have to wait for him to make you new. For you to live under his rule and reign. For you to experience in yourself what it's like for God to win victory over sin and death and darkness in your life. And what he's going to do with all things, he's begun to do with us. It starts with us. And Paul says we've already experienced this. But of course, again, there's still a sense in which we're waiting. There's an already and a not yet sense to the kingdom. There's an already that God has set us free. And that the kingdom of God, we've already grabbed hold of it. And we're seeking it. And we're holding on to it. And we're taking part in it. And we're transferred into it. But another part where we're waiting for God to make all things new. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. We'll end with this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 24. Here's Paul's resurrection chapter. In context, he's saying that there's some of you that that are saying there's not going to be a resurrection of the dead. When he says the resurrection of the dead, he's not talking about just the resurrection of Jesus, although he spends a lot of time talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead, plural. He's saying some people in Corinth are saying there's not going to be a resurrection of the dead, that God isn't going to raise dead bodies back to life. And he goes on to say, if you accept that, you're undermining the gospel, because this is our hope. Our hope is that God is going to defeat death. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 24. Then the end will come. Christ will hand over the kingdom to God the Father as he destroys every ruler, authority, and power. Christ must rule until God has put every enemy under his control. The last enemy he will destroy is death. Let me read that again because I didn't hear everybody say amen. The last enemy he will destroy is death. That's what we're waiting for. We are waiting for God to be victorious over all of his enemies, to destroy them completely, including the final enemy of death. I'm tired of death, aren't you? I'm tired of people dying because that's not the way God created the world in the beginning. We brought death into the world through our rebellion and our lack of loyalty and commitment to God. And we brought the rule and reign of the evil one and we put ourselves under him and now we live in this world of brokenness and the enemies of God and rebellion against God and we're waiting for God to put every single enemy under his feet. We're waiting for death to be destroyed. We're longing for that day. We're waiting for that day. Yes, there's a sense in which we've already stepped into that day by becoming Christians. We are living now with the hope and the joy that says, I'm going to live right now as if death is no more, even though it is, but its sting has been taken away. Because, because my sins have been forgiven, the sting of death has been taken away, but it doesn't mean I don't grieve. And it doesn't mean death isn't still a reality. And then I'm not longing for the day where death itself will be no more. 
That is the hope of every child of God. Verse 27, clearly God has put everything under Christ's authority. And when God says that everything has been put under Christ's authority, this clearly excludes God since God has put everything under Christ's authority. But when God puts everything under Christ's authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority since God had put everything under the Son's authority. Then, listen to this, then God will be in control of everything. Most translations say that God will be all in all. That's the not yet to the kingdom. God God doesn't reign in an uncontested way. There, there is still a contest going on. There is still a war going on. There is still a conflict going on. There is still rebellion going on. And we are longing for the day when the rebellion will be crushed. There will be no more enemies of God. God will be all in all. But that day begins for us the moment we put our trust in Jesus commit our loyalty and allegiance to him and say, I'm with Jesus. And when we, when we do that, when we are baptized into Christ, when we're united with him in baptism, then we, we already step into the kingdom that is not yet. Yes, we're waiting for the day when death will be no more and God reigns all in all. But for us, for us, we already know how everything is going to end. We could put it this way, the devil's fate is settled. Amen? The devil's fate is settled. Christ's reign is secure, and the Spirit has sealed us for salvation. The devil's fate is settled. Christ's reign is secure, and the Spirit has sealed us for salvation. Let's kind of walk through that for just a moment. The devil's fate is settled. Yes, there's a sense in which the devil is still tempting and still roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but his fate is settled. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. All you have to do is resist him and he will flee from you. You belong to the one who has already overcome the world. You don't have to be afraid of the devil or any demonic forces because you have already been delivered from their control if you belong to Jesus. Yes, we're still waiting for the day that the devil will get his due when he's thrown into the lake of fire forever. No more devil. No more sin. No more death. We're waiting for that day. But for us, we believe that it's already settled. His fate is already settled. Christ's reign is secure. Every other revolution, until it's done, it's not done. Every other revolution, it it could break down at any point along the way. But From the moment that Jesus has been raised from the dead, his reign is secure. His reign is secure. There is no doubt about what the future holds. Jesus will reign forever. God's kingdom is secure. And the recipients of the Holy Spirit have been sealed. That means we've received a down payment. We've received the down payment on eternity. We've been sealed for salvation. So we already know what is to come because the Spirit of God is bringing the future into the present in you. And you want to know how that shows up? It shows up when you walk by the Spirit and your life is filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness 
and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Because those things are not of this world. Let me say that again. Those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are not of this world. All you have to do is turn on the news, scroll through social media, look around, and you'll know that these things are not of the world. And, and we know that in ourselves, that at one time we walked by the flesh, and we were slaves to the rule and reign of the evil one. But Jesus has liberated us so that now we can begin to walk by the Spirit of God and allow the Spirit to bring us into the future even while we still live in the present. For us to say, no more. I'm not a part of the way the world works. I'm not a part of the way the world operates. I'm not committed to the status quo. It doesn't matter what relationships I have going on or business deals I have going on or financial obligations that I have going on. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to follow Jesus. My loyalty, my commitment belongs to him because I know that the devil's fate is settled, that Christ's reign is secure, and the Spirit has sealed me and you for salvation. But if you don't have that hope yet, if you haven't stepped into that reality yet, if you haven't taken hold of and sought the kingdom of God yet, if you haven't been buried with Jesus in baptism and become a citizen of God's kingdom, then what are you waiting for? The invitation is yours. The invitation has come out to the whole world. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come, be part of the banquet of the Lamb. Right now, you can experience the rule and reign of God. You don't have to wait. You can experience it now. Or maybe you've already made that commitment, but you need to recommit yourself to Jesus. Or maybe you're just bearing a heavy burden as we wait for the Lord to come. Whatever we can do to help you this morning, our shepherds would love to meet with you in the prayer room after service, or you can come forward now. As together we stand, sing this song.